One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals. Hello and welcome to The Game, the football podcast from The Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti. Before we begin, do not forget you can catch the highlights from every Premier League game before anyone else simply by downloading the Times app to your smartphone. And if you watch it enough times, you might even form an opinion on whether Chik Teote's goal should have stood or not. This week, I'm joined by Alison Rudd, Tony Cascarino, and from his uh, conservatory in Rippenden, it's Ollie Kay. So let's get into it. First up, we're going to take a look at Newcastle versus City. Newcastle corner. Cleared by deflection by Yaya Torre. Teote with the strike, and what a hit from Teote. It was past Joe Hart before he knew anything about it. And Newcastle are back on level terms. But they've got a problem, they've got a big problem. Mike Jones has consulted with his assistant and he's disallowed this goal. This was a a top eight clash, but I think it's been kind of largely overshadowed by the decision to disallow Chik Teote's goal, which I think we we can debate. I I think it raises a really interesting issue about how really in, in the last seven months, eight months since the international board, how the interpretation of not interfering and passive offsides has changed a little bit. Correct me if I'm wrong about what actually happened. Czech Teote hits a pile driver from the uh, left-hand side of the goal. Uh, There's two, possibly three players offside. One of them is Johan Gufran. Uh, Gufran, as the ball's coming gets out of the way of the ball, but really makes no effort to, certainly makes no discernible effort to, to attempt to, uh, to play the ball. Ball goes into the back of the net. Joe Hart probably wouldn't have reached it anyway. The referee, or the, the linesman certainly doesn't uh, disallow the goal. The referee, at first you think it's given it. Alan Pardew's all happy. Then the referee goes to the linesman and disallows it. And Alan Pardew is now grumpy. I'm just going to start with you because you made a very good point, I thought, uh, in your excellent piece. There's the line in there of in the referee's opinion, which you highlighted in your column. And that referees now have this greater discretion. Well, if we look at any of the rules in football, there's almost always uh, a huge amount of referee's discretion um, with these things. I mean, about handball, about fouls, and with the ops- and now with the offside rule because, because there is this interfering with the opponent, interfering with play. I think if you look at the wording of that rule, it is totally understandable that, that Mike Jones and his linesman reached that decision. You can say it's the wrong decision, as, as Alan Pardew did, but if it had gone the other way, if, if, if it had been um, a goal 
by City, which had been disallowed. I, I don't think Pardew would be saying, oh, look at this stupid technicality that's, that, that's denied them a goal. I, I completely agree, obviously. And I was kind of shocked how, you know, watching on television, people made it seem as if it was like, oh, look, you know, the rule. And it'd be come up with, with crap like, you know, the, the, the goalkeeper's line of vision and stuff like that. It's not really relevant anymore, the, or, or rather, it is relevant, but it's part of a much, much larger conversation, which is the latitude that referees now have in terms of what constitutes um, interfering with play. And I, we don't know because Mike Jones hasn't spoken, but um, I can assume. And by the way, I, I think the goal, personally, I, I think the goal should have stood. Um, this is just my opinion. But the thinking here is that, uh, and I turn to you, Allison, our qualified referee, um, is it fair to suppose that either A, he thought that um, Gufran got a touch, or B, he thought that Gufran's movement somehow disturbed disturbed heart? I think. Or, or, even, or even C, if the ball's coming, the ball's going to hit Gufran if he doesn't get out of the way, right? So, and if the ball hits Gufran, he's offside, right? Basically, he makes a movement, which is not a natural movement for a player returning from offside, which is to jump out of the way, and that's why the ball goes in, and that's why he disallowed it. Yeah, I am assuming he thought the answer was B, that Gufran's sudden movement in order to evade the ball must have in some way put Joe Hart off, and in that sense, he was interfering with play. However, it's interesting to me, because a lot of people are being quite sympathetic towards the referee in this situation and Times writers in the game this morning are are sympathetic and saying look you know it's up to the referee the outburst was 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 wrong this is actually one occasion where I think it's almost unforgivable because there is so much interpretation you're absolutely right Gab that's down to referees on how they see what's happened but this is one where you can actually it's almost like going into a maths exam when you are it is explained to you what constitutes interference with play. You have loads of slides and graphs and you are shown as an official this is an example of one. It looks horrendously offside but there's no way a goal from this sort of distance, this sort of range, at that sort of power, it doesn't matter who stood there, there, there or there, you've got to let that sort of goal go in. And we've seen this season, we've seen many goals given where... Uh, sort of gut reaction from people who've watched football a long time thought hang on a minute I just saw I just saw Jermaine Defoe skip over the ball how's that not interfering with play because it's been drummed into referees if you could assess that the goalkeeper would not have got there anyway it's not interfering with play and what happened at, uh, at St James's Park was we had a reminder just a reminder of how difficult the rule is because we we've sort of been allowed to look we've just st- started to lull ourselves into a sense of long range shots it kind of doesn't matter if you assume that the goalkeeper wasn't going to get there and I think the goal should have stood because there's no way Joe Hart would have got there I think Joe Hart was incredibly clever the way he played it afterwards because he looked astonished at Gufran he looked astonished at the lines the official the officials and made them made the officials think oh golly you know what did we actually miss something? was Joe Hart really in trouble there and they had to decide and they decided he must have been interfering with play, but I think you know you, that is one thing where you can look at the you can look at the pictures almost before it happens, and you know that sort of shot is allowed. Cassie, do you do, do you buy this? Does this does this make sense to you that actually 
he's not exercising his discretion because, as Allison says, you know, they've been given so many specific examples, mm. and this is clearly one where there is no interference. Obviously, there's a lot of confusion. Um, one thing that I think has not really been touched on is the fact that the referee did allow the goal. The linesman was the one who flagged to make the referee go to him and tell him there was three players off in on offside. Did, did you see I that happen? Because I didn't that, see that I, I, I'm, He my ran back here. to give a goal. Okay, no, so he my turned under- and started to go back to the halfway. He sort of half turned and the flag is up. So it, Are you I, sure about that? I, I, didn't, I didn't see that. I, yeah, I, I think totally you're making all this that. up. And yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for attention. But it was the linesman who made the ultimate decision. Why don't decision we ask Ollie what happened? Ollie, is Cass right? I mean, just to give another perspective on it, I was right behind Alan Pardew. So when Alan Pardew was saying I was right in line with it, it was a perfect goal, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I, I had exactly the same angle as he did. And Pardew's view of it was, you know, it, it's such a brilliant goal, which it was. Why would you allow it, this sort of technicality to... To, to right, well, obviously, sorry. I mean, I think I can say this without that is completely idiotic and stupid it, 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 from Pardew. It's stupid. I, I, well, one I, of I, many I, things that, that the guy says and does. Being in the ground, it's the kind of goal that, as as a journalist, as as a neutral, you want you know you want that goal to stand because it's a brilliant goal. It it it, it, um, it levels the scores. It, it makes it an even better game. You think you know? I, I, I sympathise with Tiago. I sympathise with Newcastle, but I, I don't think it's quite the open and shut case that that. Allison and other qualified referees are saying. I, I, I appreciate they have greater knowledge of refereeing, but I, I, I just think when you look at the, the laws of the game, I, I, I think there is a huge grey area. He turns away thinking it's the goal, but at the same time, he communicates with his, mm. with, with his linesman. Um, I don't know if it's the buzzer system or whatever. And then he goes over and he speaks to him directly. Mm. And one of the things he asked him was, was he offside? Now, I'm assuming he could see that Gufran was obviously offside. It might have been Stephen Taylor, who he was asking about. I, I, I honestly don't know. And then after the, after the lineman tells him, yeah, he's offside, he takes it as confirmation and disallows the goal. I mean, certainly that's how it looked to me on television and the way it was explained to me by you know, somebody who either knows or pretends to know. It would be really yeah. interesting to see what happens from now on when you get um, long-range strikes coming in in similar situations mm-hmm. and whether goalkeepers now start doing the whole, oh, you know, flapping their yeah. arms around, I couldn't, I couldn't see, I just yeah. couldn't see, even so, though they could. See, the, the big thing of the law change of a number of years ago was, it was last an year. advantage. Well, an Sorry, advantage. a number of years ago was the thing. But this past yes. year is when the greater discretionality was introduced, which is why, and I think people keep forgetting that. Yeah, and, and, and Gab, it was meant to be an advantage for the attacking team, yeah? To, yeah. to, to allow the discretion for a goal. Yes. So the, the, I can understand where Alison's coming well, from. Yes the, referee, well. he, the referee's in a position. I, when I watched it, I was, why is he giving offside? Because it was, as you see the shot, you see the direction of the shot, you clearly know that Joe Hart's not going to get it. And the referee's in a great position to see that he was not going to get it. Because Joe Hart doesn't even move his feet, does no, he? He just no. looks and sees it going to the top corner, whizzing past him. And so you, 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 I sort of can't get why he didn't allow the goal but it is a confusion, confusing area and the linesman for me played a huge part without him lifting the flag I don't have any debate that that referee would have gone centre spot goal Just to wrap this up I, I want to ask I, Okay, so referees can't come out and talk after games and then there's a whole other debate there but what I don't get is Jones is going to file a report right? Oh, I presume he's already done it right? Alison you would know how many hours they have to do this right? That evening That same evening okay so 
right now, right by Marble Arch, there's a bunch of PGMOL guys sitting around, you know, maybe with Mike Riley, and they're reading this report, and they know exactly what Jones was thinking. Why don't they just issue a statement like this morning and just kind of to, just to help explain and clarify the situation? I mean, would that not be helpful? Given that the controversy that seems to arise from pretty much every match, they don't want to be, to be in a situation where they're have to, having to defend referees right. and having to be accountable for every decision in, in, okay. in every match. Um, I, I knew you were going to say that, so here's my addendum to it, right? Mm. Those PGMOL guys, they, 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 they're in this little building by Lancaster Gate on, on Gloucester Place. I think we've all seen it. And guess what? Who's in the same building with them? The Premier League, right? And the Premier League employ Dermot Gallagher to go and work for and basically explain things to Premier League broadcast rights holders all around the world. At Premier League Productions, they have Dermot Gallagher there, right? This is, what, this is the inconsistency I don't get. So they don't want to come out and make an official statement knowing what Mike Jones put in his report and what he saw and why he disallowed the goal. But they're happy for Dermot Gallagher, who isn't a mind reader and has no idea what Mike Jones did, to go, Dermot Gallagher, who works for them, for him to go out and explain things to the TV companies. And TV is how we most experience games. I mean, is that an inconsistency? It is inconsistent, but the, um, the authorities basically don't want the referees to to be spoken on behalf of and to be speaking on a weekly basis. Right. So we can say referees should have to explain everything. That, right, that no, no, I appreciate that. That's what they don't want. You can, you can make a mistake when you don't see something or you see something incorrectly. Or you can make a value judgment, which others may agree or disagree with. Referees are called upon to do this all the time. But when we don't even know what the basis for what he saw, he might have seen something that wasn't there or he might have made a value judgment that, that people disagree with. Okay, move it on a step then. So you, you are allowed to see the referee's report. Right. And he says something that quite patently wasn't true because we've seen it from several angles and had time to see it. So he looks, he he looks kind of stupid because mm-hmm. he saw something that wasn't right. there. And then the next game he officiates, everyone's saying, "Oh yeah, he's the referee that sees things that aren't there." It just it just yeah. further undermines in a culture where we're I think we're heading well, for a bit of a crisis with how we treat it. officials. It's just going to make it worse. It's oh, not going to help. We might need. Wait a second. Wait, wait, wait a second. Wait a second. Right. Who, the best referee in the Premier League, is many people would say, is Howard Webb, right? This is already somebody who made a colossal blunder in the World Cup final. We accept that. He made a mistake. Chris Smalling made a ridiculous mistake as well. Does he become rubbish? John Terry and David Beckham missed crucial penalties. Like, are, we going to, are they just going to become fools the rest of their lives? I, I think that this idea that, uh, that, that you make one mistake... Uh, and, and it stays with you forever and people think you're rubbish forever I, I think it's kind of patronizing and unfair to fans because I don't think they look at it that way um, I w- wanted to move on to um, what was a really bad injury I, I thought uh, or a really bad foul oh. by a guy who I really rated when he was in France uh, Mapu Yangambiwa for some reason a, our friend Parju plays him a lot at, at fullback which he looks terrible I think when he's at fullback He's had some shocking games at central defense as well. Cass, I want to ask you, because did you, the, the dynamic of the foul on, on Nasri, it's almost like he fouls him once, he fouls him twice, Nasri doesn't go down, and then he's just like, okay, I'll just take a great big kick at your knee. So to say it was reckless is an understatement, and to continue after the first foul to 
in, insult to injury. I know it's a bit of a pun, but he just did not stop wanting to try and foul him. And I didn't know if something had happened. When I saw the incident, I thought, has Nasri said something during well, the game? or apologised afterwards. Yeah, like, it, well. was, it was a real strange one because he made an attempt, not for once, but on two or th- maybe even to three occasions, to foul him. And the third one was obviously the most severe. Uh, but to go with... I just couldn't get the decision either of how they couldn't see that that weren't a red card. It was so obvious. That was his worst decision of the day, mm. wasn't it, Mike Jones? No, I, no, I think worse. the worst decision was the, the TOT goal being disallowed because I think the, on the only shot you had of the tackle, it looked pathetic and it mm. looked reckless, and that's a yellow card. It's only with hindsight when you see it again and you know the extent of the injury, you think, ah, oh, on reflection, <laughs> that should have been a red. One viewing only, it looked more pathetic than dangerous. Mm. Well, it was quite weird because, Gab, when you're watching it, as a, as a player, you sometimes think... You know, have a nibble at him, get him. You know, when you sort of say, just make right. it, you know, you make him known that you're putting pressure on him. And it was just like, he's gone at him, he's gone at him, and now I've got him. <laughs> that was why it was so, I thought it was a really poor challenge. I want to pick on Alan Pardew, but the microphones all heard and saw exactly what he said to Manuel Pellegrini at one point. I don't know to what degree I'm allowed to uh, repeat his words, but at one point he calls him an effing old, something that rhymes with runt. That just a taste of this as well. You're going to make fun of the guy for being old? <laughs> he, he apologized for it afterwards. I'm just wondering, what's the mindset of somebody who, who does that, who, who calls, you, calls you old? Can, can you explain? You're well, closer to Pardew than no, we are. No, You're well, from the same part of the world, right? I, um, I can't explain. He's your peeps? Apologize for Alan. He's it, older than you, it, right? It, you, it, could call, you could call him an old <laughs> bunt, right? It's an embarrassing moment for Alan. It's like the guy that gets out of the car, isn't it? Uh, driving along, gets angry with somebody else and just verbalises, just goes for him for the jugular. That's what Alan did. And but in hindsight, you don't call somebody old. Well, I don't understand. You know, well, I, sometimes you get people jump out of cars and they call you everything. You know, there's no but I can live birth. with everything, spon- but I don't understand. Gab, in a spontaneous moment, people do that. That's what some people do. Alan did that. He was the guy, the Jeremy Kyle moment, wasn't it? Where he yeah. literally had a right go at him and... He has to regret what he said because it well, was he, he does. I mean, to be, to, to be fair to him, he yeah. apologized for it afterwards, which begs the obvious question: Ollie, uh, did he apologize for it because there was the vine of it going on Twitter mm. uh, within seconds of it happening, or would he have apologized for it if nobody had picked up on it? A lot of managers will will say that kind of thing at fourth officials. And, well, maybe not the old bit, but um, it's the old bit yeah. that gets me. I, I, can, I can understand <laughs> you losing your cool, but why? Why? Was it a crime to be old? What the hell? Liverpool with a bit of time to make the clearance and Skirtle does a stand on ceremony, high bouncing ball, Wilson underneath it, heads it back towards his keeper, Shawcross has missed it and Suarez has scored and Stoke have shot themselves in the foot, nobody gets it right except Suarez. Moving on to Stoke and Liverpool, we need to start with you Ollie, because of course uh, uh, your first job was in Stoke, am I right? Was, uh, it was a work experience. It wasn't. A, it wasn't. Um, and it wasn't even my first work experience. So no, you, you're completely wrong. You effing old. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the point being, you worked in Stoke. You identify with a local culture. You are one of them. Um, I I want. I just I wanted to ask you because obviously the, the, this is a game we saw. We saw eight goals in it. I had a debate with somebody about whether this game was more interesting than Atletico Madrid Barcelona, which of course finished nil nil the night before and. I think there was a slight car crash element to it, but by the same token, I thought there was actually a, a certain degree of, of precision and, and, and really good football from the two teams who, there's, to me, there's a difference between players who aren't very good and players who play badly. And I looked at Stoke, and 
I thought some of those guys really aren't good, but I like the way they play. I don't I don't think that there's too much there's too much wrong with it. Am, am I am I wrong and am I reading Stoke incorrectly? No, Stoke. Um, I mean, I, you can see what Hughes has tried to do. He, he's tried to sort of build on the strengths that they've had, which was their defence, and, and get them playing um, better football. I think the, the better football was evident yesterday. Um, the, the the sort of Tony Pulis style rugged defending probably wasn't. I mean, they conceded five goals, but I think playing against the Liverpool team in that mood and a, a, a forward line in that mood and with them playing on the counter-attack um, a lot of the time and the damage that Suarez can do, the damage that Sterling can do, I think it, it was perhaps forgivable to to concede five goals. I mean, I don't think there'll be many occasions they'll concede five goals. I mean, some of the defending was, was pretty bad for some of the goals, but um, I, I think you can tell that Stoke are going in the direction that they want to go in in terms of uh, performance, but are they going to get as many points as they got under, under Pulis? Are they going to be as safe as they generally were under Pulis? It, it's not clear yet. They've also spent a fraction of the money and cut the wage bill compared to uh, the Tony Pulis era, to be fair to, to, to Mark Hughes. And Luis Suarez, every week he's, he scores more goals. Uh, he's on pace to score. I think the latest projection I saw was 94 goals uh, in the Premier League alone. I think it's a stain on his character that he hasn't yet converted a single penalty. Um, I don't know if it's lazy or he just refuses to do it. Um, I, I'm joking, obviously. I mean, this, this is ridiculous PlayStation stuff, isn't it, at this stage, Alison? Yeah. It's, I, what can you say? What can you say? He's absolute joy to watch. And it is slightly surreal watching him now. And there, there are certain players like Messi and now Ronaldo where... They're in an odd position and there doesn't seem a lot on, but you're not, think, you're not thinking, oh, I wonder what will happen. You just know they're going to score. And it doesn't take away from the enjoyment of it because that sense of ownership that Suarez has when it's his time to shoot or decide to set someone up is uh, it's almost once in a lifetime, well, three, four times in a lifetime start, isn't it? It's just, it is, and we're lucky that he's in England and he's doing it here and we can see it all the time. Well, Cassie, you, you're obviously a, a different sort of player to, to Suarez, but you've also had spells where everything works for you. Mm. And that's kind of the spell he's on and, and, mm. and he's been on. What's that like? Is there a sense that you're going to regress to a mean? Or, or, or do you think Suarez has just turned a corner where like this is now normal for him? It's lovely playing for football clubs in front of fans that if you miss it doesn't really matter. I think that's a lovely thing to have, like Omri had, like Suarez has got, like Torres had at Liverpool, like Van Persie had at Arsenal, uh, where you become, you can miss chances and the fans know you're going to have another one, another one, and you'll do a piece of magic to win them a game. And That'd be, So it's easier for a striker it's, to play well, it's, Because people talk of confidence. What is, you know, oh, everyone says, well, they'll do well or he'll score because he's running on confidence. Confidence is a thing of literally there's no fear. Really, you don't have a fear when you start missing is because there is a, a feeling where I've played for I played for Chelsea and I got dogs abuse at one particular time and every time I got my next opportunity if I didn't finish it it would come thicker and harder and more ferocious towards me so it, I was obviously conscious of that but when you're not in that frame of mind when you're a player that the crowd it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. 
you really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. They're just going to go, what are Liverpool fans going to do if Suarez misses an absolute sitter? They're all sympathise with him because he's such a great player for them and been so incredible. That's what the confidence gives you that he he can try anything at the moment and it's coming off, like you said. It's to, whatever he's doing in a football game, Suarez is being creative. His movement, his work rate is exceptional, and I think that's something that we sometimes forget with all his brilliance. His work rate is phenomenal as a player. He's got a bit of Ian Rush's work rate. He's got the the finishing power of, of Robbie Fowler. He's got the the predatory instincts of of say a Michael Owen. You know, he's got all them rolled into one, and the wonder goals of Torres. It's like Liverpool have got these four X strikers that he can do all what they could do <laughs> in one. That's what I yeah. see when I watch Suarez play. He's got none of the dog leash, of course, because Kenny was a king. But um, the big I, bum. He's got the big well, bum. There you go, uh, Ollie. Now Sturridge, of course, is is now back, and um, incidentally, on, on on the the goal that Sturridge set up for Suarez, I'm watching on TV. They made it seem as if he'd done the most remarkable thing in the world. Am I wrong to say that that actually, I mean, yeah, it was unselfish of him, but the way he turns towards the center of the goal and all the def- the whole right side of the Stoke defense empties out because all the defenders wander into the middle and then Suarez is the whole highway to run into. Am I right in thinking that was actually shockingly bad defending from Stoke rather than any particular genius from Sturridge? And then you can answer that one quickly and then move on to tell me how the Sturridge-Suarez partnership will look now. Maybe they were thinking it was the Sturridge of old. Maybe, maybe with his with him being um, injured recently, they they thought he was going to do what he always used to do, which was just get the ball onto his left foot and and and, and smash it. And that seems to be his his one manoeuvre at one stage. And his one manoeuvre when he was at, at, at Chelsea, when he seemed desperate to burst the net every time he um, he got the ball. And I just think he's shown so much more appreciation of what's around him, not just in terms of what he does with the ball, but in terms of getting into proper goal-scoring positions as well. I, I think he's vastly improved as a player. Um, he's clearly been very, very well coached um, at Liverpool. It's not just a confidence thing. Um, and in terms of how that partnership will look now, it's, it, it's a year since he, um, he arrived. I think people thought it was a slightly strange one. They thought, are Liverpool lining up a, a Suarez replacement? How's it going to work with one guy who... who wants to be the main man in the middle that's um that's uh, Sturridge and, and one guy Suarez who's you know just wants to be everywhere and the fact is that it has worked they, they've always found a way they've it's never been clear particularly from from one week or one month to the next whether whether they would play 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1 or or um various different ways they've used Sterling in different ways they've used Henderson in different ways but the fact is that they look like a team who are just going to find a way to to attack and to create chances and to score goals and I think that the only concern with Liverpool is, is further back in the team are they conceding too many goals are they losing control of games in midfield when they, when they get put under a bit of pressure 
Final thought on this. I mean, you, you talked about how they can do it different ways. Uh, looking at this, obviously, Jared's fit again. What is the – did anybody want to guess at what the front six might look like, given that Sterling's done done reasonably well? You've got Coutinho in there uh, as well. Anybody feel confident enough to take a stab at what I Brendan's going to do, or is he just a man of mystery? I don't think it's a firm six. I think you can obviously go with a, the, the four of the, of the six. But the, the other two, it's it's really about here and now, so isn't it? So the four it? are Lucas, Gerrard, Suarez, and Sturridge? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would go along. I think Coutinho is... Is on the fringe. I mean, there's been moments of brilliant from him as well, and that he can win you a game. I just think it's a little bit more Anfield. If you said the games at Anfield, I'd, I'd be opted that he may be the fifth one out of the six. Right. Oh, final point, Alison. We mentioned Sterling there. The uh, the penalty and, and and Mark Wilson, Brendan called it a uh, a Spanish style penalty. I appreciate there was some confident confidence goes down easily, but I'm just wondering as a defender, why does he bring his arm around? to Sterling's back like what's what's the purpose of that yeah, it's obviously wasn't enough to push him down but, but what, what's the purpose of doing that other than giving the referee an excuse to well he had a, a bad game didn't he Wilson altogether but I don't know that he was I felt it was a balance issue for the defender and um, he's balancing himself on well, Sterling well or, Sterling or, started to lean in a bit and I, I, I don't know if maybe he was trying to avoid giving away a penalty and it just went slightly wrong Right, on to our debate section this week where um, we'll be covering three subjects. Get the first one out of the way. Ballon d'Or Monday night. Uh, Your nominees are Lionel Messi, uh, Franck Ribéry, and Cristiano Ronaldo. Just kind of a quick whip round. I don't know that we necessarily need to debate this unless you want to, but uh, Cass, who's your choice? None of us have a vote anyway, so it's relevant. Ronaldo. Alison? Ronaldo. Ollie? Ronaldo. All right, there you go. Uh, I'll say Ronaldo too. And we're done. Ollie and I, of course, had uh, uh, this creepy telepathy going on. You know, if you remember this back at the uh, Champions League draw when uh, Ribery won it, but we were both rather on the Ronaldo uh, tip back then as well. The other issue, managerial change, West Brom, um, Pepe Mel has come in. It's an interesting appointment. Pepe Mel is one of those sort of cult hero type uh, uh, guys in Spain. In that, is that because of his sunglasses? Uh, did you know that you're into books? Did you know that he's a published author of uh, serious uh, historical whodunits? Wearing sunglasses. People wear sunglasses if they come from places with the sunshine. That's difficult for you to relate to. <laughs> he was wearing sunglasses at the Hawthorns. What? Oh, no, it was, at, it was at St. Mary's, wasn't it? He was wearing sunglasses at St. Mary's. St. Mary's is on the south coast. There's beaches, sun, sand, whatnot. Just don't, but, just don't, managers just don't wear sunglasses here, do they? No. no. Okay. Well, That's why he's a cult hero. So, Pepe Mel had a reputation for playing this very pass-oriented, wonderful football at, at Betis. He got them promoted to the top flight. They, I think they finished seventh last year. Had a wonderful player in midfield, Bignat, who uh, then moved to Atletico Bilbao and became not good. But this year they were sacked. He was in last place. What strikes me about West Brom, now West Brom have this, I, I think, probably the most extremist towards the director of football model here in, uh, in in the Premier League. And I looked at their last four managers, and it struck me, or coaches as they would call them there, and it struck me like they couldn't be any more different, right? So you, you've got Di Matteo, who's a relatively inexperienced former star, cosmopolitan, um, you know, comes from the lower leagues, uh, managed MK Dons or whatever. You go from him 
to Roy Hodgson, who's the extremely old, and I think it's apt to say it in this case, Englishman who's traveled the world and is a lot more uh, a lot more old school from compared to Robbie. And then you go from him to Steve Clark, a guy who's only ever been an assistant throughout his career, but highly respected, worked with a lot of very good managers from Mourinho to, to, to Kenny Dalglish and whatever, uh, and who's Scottish and therefore presumably grumpy, to Pepe Mel, who's the sort of slightly mad genius, uh, one for the, um, you know, one for the football hipster uh, because his teams keep losing, but he plays great football and it's not just about the results and all this jazz and I presume he doesn't speak English either. Although you, you can't blame them for not trying every possible combination, can they? No, but I, I think there's a, probably a, a, a time and a place to, to make that kind of um, appointment and, and to, to make the change generally. I, I know West Brom had, had sort of tumbled into a, a bad run under Clark, but I, I was very surprised when I heard towards the end of his spell that, that he was under pressure. Um, I thought that they'd started the season very well, having ended last season very badly, and then they you know, they just went into a little bit of a slide and it seemed like he got sacked for, you know, three or four bad weeks. And to go, you know, such a a, a big about turn in terms of not only um, the change of manager but the change of, of style, I, I think is is quite surprising when they are now going to be facing a relegation fight. And you could say it's because they were facing a relegation fight that, that they made the change. But I never thought, even during that three or four weeks under Clark, that they looked like a team that we're going to uh, going to go down. It seems like there's a there's a real sort of strategic change at West Brom, and I don't know whether halfway through a season when they're looking over their shoulders is the way is the time to do it. I don't think they'll go down, but I don't think they would have gone down anyway. Maybe, and I'm, I'm wondering, Casket, could that have been the thinking um, that? They're in a position where they're so confident in the way they do things. Obviously, they've got uh, mm. this man Garlic as technical director, uh, who took over from, from Dan Ashworth, who's now at the FA, who everybody you know, was highly respected, everybody said was brilliant. Um, I love the fact that they gave Pepe Mel 18 months. As you know, I mm. don't like the dictatorship of the manager where he needs to have like a, you know, a four-year deal or six years in Moise's case. And, you know, and the way you back him is just by giving him money that he can spend or whatever. They've just taken Mel and say, hey, you're a coach coach these guys up, make them better than what they are. And, you know, because there's a lot more coaches out there than there are football clubs. Uh, hey, supply and demand. We'll only give you an 18-month deal. And just the one assistant. Take it or leave it, Pepe. And Sideshow Mel went for it, right? Mm. I think there's a grey area there, Gab. I don't think there's a four-year deal that should have been offered, and I don't think it should have been an 18-month. I think somewhere in between, maybe a two-and-a-half year. It, Why? So you can uh, get more no, money when you I, fail? I, well, look. If he does well, he's going to get a Gab, new contract. Yeah, right? Gab, if Gab. he does very well, he'll move on to a bigger club. If he does badly, he'll be sacked. It was quite clear that West Brom were very indecisive about who they wanted to appoint. Now, I know that Nigel Atkins, and it was, was leaked out in the, the papers in the week, was very close to getting the West Brom job. It didn't happen. They chose Pepe Mel. Okay, so there wasn't a great backing. It wasn't their number one target. They firmly believed in. This Another is a guy reason that, to give him eighteen months. Yeah, and than... they've given him eighteen months. But it, the club doesn't feel right. I, I just get a feeling with the way the club is heading, and um, you know Shane Long situation as a player there, where he was nearly went in the summer to Hull for five million. A lot of uncertainty about his future. I just feel that West Brom is lost. So is Shane Long a reserve striker at this club? Well. 
there's a, there's a lot of uncertainty at that football club concerning certain people in the team and around the manager. It doesn't. It just you're going to have to give me some right. specifics here with, with within limits on what you can allow because when you talk about uncertainty, well, I, I, I see a club I, that don't Gab, spend a lot of money. There are twelve, no, no, thirteenth on the table that are not going to go down. Gab, they were a club that clearly doesn't want managers buying players as well. Rightly so, you know, right? Well. I, I think that hey, if you get a manager that's a good judge of buying players and the right ones for the football club within the budget, it's a good thing to have on your side. I don't. There's upsides and downsides of just having but once a guy coming and buy. You look at what, Tottenham but, and Baldini, we, who literally has bought everybody, and now Tim Sherwood's in a position where three of them he doesn't even want near the first team. Right. So you know, the there's upsides and downsides to people. it. If you have a plan, right, the worst thing you can do is certainly go back and forth between it, right. Mm-hmm. Once you've had this model, they've been successful with this model. It's given them stability and success. Surely the worst thing they could do now is to, you know, ditch this model and bring in, uh, you know, a big Sam type who who, who might do things completely differently, right? Um, yeah, I could, Gab, it's a really murky one. West Brom feels like a very different run club from everyone else in the Premiership. That's how I see it from the outside. And Jeremy Peace has got to get it right because they are tinkering in relegation where it seems like what really Ollie said, it feels very unnecessary. They, they never looked like a team that was going to be in that position and they could easily find themselves now. On a, on a serious note, uh, Thomas Hitzelsberger, the uh, former Stuttgart, um, Aston Villa, West Ham, Lazio and a couple other clubs, midfielder, um, I think 52 caps for Germany. He announced that, um, that basically he, he, he was gay. And, uh, you know, he said he, he struggled with his sexuality for much of his career. At one point was engaged to be married and now says he's happier living with a man. Now, it was a pretty much overwhelming show of support for Hitzelsberger, for the courage to come out. Obviously, it is a very personal decision. One of the things that, that, that strikes me, and I want to turn to you, Ollie, is people have said, like, oh, does it matter? I don't think it, it matters at all, except that it's, um, I mean, it doesn't matter at all that he's gay. It doesn't no, matter. No, no, no the, matter, the, the, the fact that he the, shares it, not the fact that he's gay. I, I'm taking I, it as I, red I, that it doesn't matter to you yeah, that he's gay. I, I'm assuming it, that. It's, uh, I mean, the, 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 I think the whole point about it, the whole reason why people are so interested in it is, is because there has been this sort of feeling that there's a taboo in football, that there's been a taboo in sport, which is, is, has generally um, disappeared in other sports over the last few years. And and I think it's you, know, you get all these documentaries, you get articles from time to time saying it's football's last taboo, why are there no gay footballers? Well, we now have you know, various players who, who have come out who have either been low-profile um, players in a men's game or or players who have retired or in Robbie Rogers' case have um, opted out of football and then gone back in, which is which is which is very good. I, I think it matters in the sense that it is it's trying to say, look, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and I think probably we have to go through this sort of slightly involved, slightly tortured process where there's a huge happy media storm around it. I mean, storm isn't the, the, the word, but the, but there's huge media coverage of it to say, look how great this is and look how look how grown up we are. But I think. Football probably has to go through that before before it reaches a stage where it becomes a more natural process and where people will actually come out when they're playing. We need to break the ice. There needs to be the guy that's still in the dressing room and playing in a big major league, and it's not being a big major story because I think that's that's it's nearly upon us now. I think we're very close to it, and I think Hitzelsberger's just before the the next one who's going to come out and say this is my, you know. My sexual preference is men, and I'm gay, and so what? 
And I think we'll move on from that. I think that will definitely happen within the next 10 years. Because there are players, definitely, who are playing now who are gay, who are still afraid. But I think there will be someone that breaks the ice. You don't need to be a psychologist to know that you know, for a lot of people, not everybody, but for many gay, closeted men and women, it's a, it takes a tremendous toll on their lives. It can lead to mental health issues. It's just not a good place to be in. And, and the idea that you know, people wrestle with this every day, I think is something that we can all hopefully pull together against. All right, gave myself the last word there. So on to quick hits. Spurs overcome Crystal Palace, but Cass, we're still waiting for Jason Punchin's penalty to come back to earth. And on top of that, let's stick with Punchin because uh, I'm going to say this carefully, but it's out there in the press. After Neil Warnock made fun, I guess, of his penalty on the radio, he made some very serious allegations about Neil Warnock on Twitter, which he's since deleted. So you might get the story, like some lunatic hijacked my Twitter account or whatever. What do you make of this? Well, it'll be watch this space because the story will run because obviously Punchin's uh, reaction to Warnock are pretty furious and pretty pretty hard and um, and allegations that won't just drop so easily. Twitter is a very dangerous thing for footballers. And I've seen over many accounts in, in recent years that some th- rants that go on and there's consequences to pay. And if I was at the FA and I'd read or saw some of the stuff, allegations that Punchin has mentioned, I'd want to investigate. I really would. And find out if it was a lie or truths, whatever way, I'd want to find out a bit more information. Sometimes it's better not to look under the carpet and shine a light in those dark corners because you might find creepy crawlies. Manchester United avoid making it four defeats in a row, their worst run in 50 years or something stupid like that by beating Swansea. Moyes was happy. Should he be happy with the performance, Ollie? It was an awful lot better. The previous three performances where they lost, I thought they were so poor in terms of the intensity in their game. I thought on Saturday against Swansea, they, there were certain things where, where things weren't quite coming together, but I, I thought there was so much more intensity in the game, so much more spirit in, in the game. They looked like they were had the right attitude, and I think that itself, it might sound like a small thing, but it, but it makes a huge difference. Everton overcome Norwich City 2-0 as Gareth Barry and Kevin Morales both scored some pretty nice goals. Allison, they've already added Aidan McGeady, or McGeady as some people call him. I'm not going to get into that one. Uh, should they look, consider that the window of opportunity is now, strike while the iron is hot, maybe pick up somebody else to give them a bit more depth and really make a run at a Champions League spot? Well, they've, it... got, they've got Maka six months earlier than they were uh, hoping, they thought they'd get him, so that's a, a bonus. I don't think they actually need too much they're doing incredibly well and like many teams they could probably do with a striker everyone's after a striker so who do they get the thing the thing about Martinez is you could probably pick someone up who is a bit raw and he could polish him up rather quickly I would expect Everton they are going to finish fourth or fifth and it'll probably be a point in it Big Sam is still in a job, having gone to Cardiff and won convincingly. Cass, you live in the general direction uh, east of London. Is everything back on track now for West Ham? And were all those uh, nattering, nattering nabobs of negativity wrong? No, I still think there's huge problems. I think if you look at them defensively, they've been awful over the last month or two. They got a result. They took a bit of a pound in by Cardiff. Could easily have gone the other way, the game. A fantastic result for them. Uh, a big plus getting, which he says himself, uh, Sam, that Andy Carroll will play a big part. It's watch this space because they're going to have to 
be hugely influential towards the end of the season for them to have any chance to stand up. Chelsea beat Hull and it looks like they'll be spending big to bring back Matic, a guy who uh, last played for them three years ago and who they gave up to pick up David Luiz, who now they aren't so hot on. Oli, I'm confused. Please help. It was a strange one when, when they when they sold him, really, because although he hadn't had much of a look in, he was rated very highly within the club. And then they, they sold him and he's done well at Benfica and they're buying him back seemingly because he's exactly what they've they've lacked over the last few years. I and mean, he, he will improve them, um, no doubt. And the central midfield has been a source of weakness. Um, Lampard's not getting any younger, to put it mildly. And um, you know, th- this will give them more in that department. Sunderland demolished Fulham, and it's now not so crazy to suggest they might stay up. So there, Adam Johnson turns in a hat trick. Alison, if he's going to be this good, uh, shouldn't Uncle Roy be paying him a visit? As Gus Poirier said, uh, Adam Johnson is 26, so there's no more excuses. Um, He should be approaching his peak. Several issues with Adam Johnson. One is that he is inconsistent, and uh, you know he's not even been first choice for Sunderland this season. Um, But surely Sunderland are a better team than England. There is the problem that he's playing for a bottom half club and generally you don't pick your players from a bottom bottom half club with no European football in your season. But he has played for England before and he has had that international experience. He's had 11 caps and he's keen. Johnson is keen. And so we just have to sit back and see, does this hat trick mean Johnson has mentally turned a corner? And if he puts in that sort of shift, he was at times unplayable. Uh, Fulham certainly couldn't cope with him. Um, if he does it week in, week out, then of course Roy Hodgson should give him a look, especially with Theo Walcott injured. I have a question for you, Gab. There was a top-of-the-table clash in La Liga, and we have a teenage sensation in Italy, so which of those two would you like to talk about? I'm the host. I'm going to find a way to talk about both. I, I can thought do it you if might. I, talk I really, thought you really might. Uh, Atletico Madrid and Barcelona finish nil-nil. Um, Real Madrid won, which means that basically all three teams at the top of La Liga, they control their destiny. If they all win out every single game, whichever one manages to do that, will become the Liga champion. Uh, regarding this this kid, uh, I think it's a great story, Domenico Berardi, uh, Sassuolo were playing AC Milan, AC Milan of course are not good anymore, but uh, Sassuolo go 2-0 down at home, and then this kid goes and scores four goals in the space of 47 minutes. Uh, he, he doesn't turn 20 until August. Uh, he scored 11 goals in 14 Serie A games this season. And the best part is he didn't really play organized football um, until he was 15 years old. His brother at university went to visit him. The brother was having a kickabout with his university mates. He decided to join in, spotted by a scout, offered a contract. Um, and yeah, he, he looks that exciting. That's all we've got time for this week. My thanks to Alison Rudd, who, as you may have heard, is a qualified referee, Ollie Kay from Rippenden, and, of course, Tony Cascarino, who this week made only two Teddy Sheringham references, if I'm not mistaken. Quick reminder that we're back on the road again. Tickets cost £5 for Times Plus members and £7.50 for non-members, and you can go and see us in Manchester. That's right, to book, visit www w2.ctickets.com slash the times or call 0871-620-4025. We're going to be back uh, next week. Till then, bye-bye. Your subscription to the Times and the Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away.